Wow, it's hard to believe, isn't it? Another Christmas season is upon us. But here we are, church, and I'm excited to be beginning this series called The Greatest Story Ever Told. And I know this past week, uh, Caleb put it out there on Facebook about, um, you know, giving the greatest Christmas movie that you know. And so people started flooding all of that and with responses. And so we'll have some of that coming up here soon. But we're going to kind of begin today with the greatest story ever told by looking at what's known as the backstory. And the backstory to the greatest story ever told is going to be found in the Old Testament. And so that's the way it goes. Now next, we're going to kind of end with uh, that period of time, you know, the silent years, the 400 years before the New Testament was written. But I'm excited about this because I've never preached uh, out of the book of Micah. And, but that's where we're going to be today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Micah chapter 5. And we're going to be looking in the backstory of the greatest story ever told. You know what um, is fascinating about this is that Micah, a prophet, uh, told, us, told these words to us and were written down in the Word of God 700 years before the birth of the Messiah, but the, before the birth of Jesus. Isn't that fascinating? 700 years, y'all. He prophesied this. And Micah, whose name means who is like God. I think that's pretty fitting. Who is like God. And so what Micah had written into the nation of Israel, and he was giving them a word of hope at that point. But let me tell you a little bit about the backstory of what was going on in the times that Micah wrote these verses. And basically, the nation of Israel was in two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, which was the ten tribes, and then there were the southern kingdom, which was Judah. The northern kingdom was known as Israel, southern is Judah. But the northern kingdom, the ten tribes had been taken into captivity by Assyria. And so Assyria was the empire that was the world empire before the Babylonian empire came in. But Assyria was, was dominant at that time. So they had the captivity stuff going on. And then in the land of Judah, there was corruption. There was corruption among the uh, political leaders. There was corruption among religious leaders. It, it was just not a lot of good news. Kind of sounds similar, huh? <laughs> to our modern day and time. A lot of corruption. A lot, no good news. A lot of fake news. A lot of things being said. But that was the climate that these verses were written in. And so that's, that's important for us to know in this backstory. But in the middle of it, in this backstory, he gives us some really cool things to see here. And I'm going to read the verse 2 of Micah chapter 5 to us. And it begins in verse 2 here. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth to me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So that's verse 2 that Micah has given us. You might have heard parts of this in the Christmas story before. Because basically, uh, in Matthew chapter, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 2, picking up around verse 4 and 5, you have the Magi who have come from the east and they've seen the star. And they've come to worship this 
child who has been born, this Messiah. And they said, we have seen a star. And then Herod was upset. He's like, what? what? What's going on? So he pulled the, the scribes and the religious rulers together. And he said, tell me, where is the, this king to be born? And then they quoted right here from this verse in Micah chapter 5. It's what they quoted. And they quoted about, he's going to come out of Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Now, that's not an easy word to say, but it's, it's significant. Because there were two Bethlehems. The Ephrathah was significant because it was in the region, of, in the Judea region. It was only a few miles away from Jerusalem. And it is the one that was known as a little place. He even says, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. So my first thing that I want to share with you this morning, and I want to encourage you with this word in our church at, at this point in the history of Gratis Church, and that is this. God does great things in small places. God does great things in small places. Listen, God could have chosen anywhere, anywhere on the face of the planet Earth to have sent his son to be born. He could have, but he chose Bethlehem, the least, the little. You know, he could have, he could have had him born in Jerusalem, the capital of of Israel, but he didn't. He didn't have him born in the big city. He had him born in a place that was the least. And I believe it's because God does great things in small places. You know, we couldn't imagine singing, Oh, big town of Bethlehem, could we? We sing, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I, I guess it sounds like that. I might be off a little bit. But we sing, Oh, how still we see thee. Okay, I've sung it before, all right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's what it is. But it's not old big town of Bethlehem. It was little. It was least of the clan of Judah. By all means. But God encourages church by saying this to us. I remember a few years ago, Caleb and I were over in the Stone Mountain Association at an annual meeting. And a guy by the name of Fred Luter, who was the pastor of the largest church in, uh, in New Orleans was there speaking to us. And Fred Luter said these words, never despise small beginnings. Never despise small beginnings. Wow. You know, that speaks volumes. Because here we are, we're gratis church. I know uh, John and Cindy are here with us today and she asked a question in the hallway. How long have y'all been here and been going? And I said, seven years. And that seems like a long time. Do you know most church plants don't make it past the first two or three years? They don't. But God has still got this core people called gratis. And we might be little, but we're not least. And we can never forget these words that God does great things in small places. He still wants to do something in little old insignificant Gratis community right out here in Walton County. Hey, Gratis is not even incorporated, okay? It's not even incorporated. It will be one day. But if you ride around, and it doesn't take much riding around, you just cross over in the Bear County, you see a lot of building going on around over that 53. Do you know how far that is from our property? About three or four miles. But there's a lot of development that's coming, y'all right out into this community, and it's, it's on its way. 
So we can never despise the, the small beginnings. I love, and I'm going to put this quote up of John Piper, and it says this, God chooses the lowly so we can't boast in merits, but only in his mercy. That's a good word. Now, that's deep right there. But God chooses the lowly so we can't boast in merits. In other words, God's not looking at the accomplishments of man or what, how big man can do something. God chooses the lowly things so that he can do his work through it. Let me share this that's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You might want to write that down in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because it says God chooses what is foolish to shame the wise. You hear me? God chooses what's foolish to shame the wise. God chooses what is weak to shame the strong. And God chooses what is low in order to shame those that are proud. Why? Because let him who boasts boast only in the Lord. No man can boast, man. That's what God's trying to get his point across. And so through the small beginnings, God can do a great work. And I want to encourage you, church, here today. We've had, you know, um, I met with a group of pastors this past week in several other churches. And one of those churches is really struggling right now. And they always ask you, you know, they don't ever ask you, how is your church doing? They always, how many people you have? That's what they always ask you. And, I, and you know what I respond? We got them all. That's my response. We have them all. They go, what? I said, yeah, we got all the people that are coming. They're all there. I hope you are. Are you all here this morning? Are you? Are you with me? Now, some of you might be checked out. Some of you might be thinking, what's for lunch? Some of you might be somewhere in the next week. But I would hope you're all here right now. But, you know, I've learned to not get into the numbers things. You know why? Because if you get excited about numbers, you're going to get disappointed about numbers. You will. And numbers... <laughs> I've gone to these meetings and they want to stand up and brag on the church that's baptized the most and has, has the most, it gives the most, and it's always nickels, noses, and all that stuff. But you know what God looks in and he judges? He looks at the heart. And he looks at what's humbled. And he looks at what's lowly. And he looks at stuff that nobody else looks at. And what God thinks is way more important than what man thinks. And that's what we have to remember. God wants to do great things in small places. So I say to you, Gratis, we're in a small place. But is God getting ready to do great things? You know what Caleb said this past week in our staff meeting that blew me away. He said, Dad, what if God chose to bring revival to America and it started in Gratis? Now, I, I hadn't even, that hadn't even crossed my brain. I'll be honest with you. But it made me to start thinking. What if the outpouring that would change America started in a little place called Gratis in Walton County? You want to know something? Church, the thing that changed the world started in a little place called Bethlehem. And his name was Jesus. Changed the world. Isn't that God? God does great things in small places. Here's the next one. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. I'm going to tell you why. He says, 
here in verse 2, from you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. His going forth are from long ago, from days of eternity. God keeps his promises. He's promising in the midst of this captivity, in the midst of corruption, in the midst of when it doesn't seem like there's nothing good going on. He's, he's giving them hope. He's promising him from you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, is going to is going to come one who is going to rule the world. Wow, oh, you little town of Bethlehem? It's going to come from you? Yes, that's what he's saying. And notice on down here in verse 4, it says these words, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great. To the ends of the earth. And then verse 5. And this one will be our peace. So God keeps his promises. And let me tell you. He gives four distinct clear promises. Right here in verse 4 and 5. Number one. God promised the Messiah will be what? He will stand. And he will shepherd his people Israel. He promises it right here in verse 4. He's going to arise. And he's going to shepherd his flock. Jesus he came out of Bethlehem. Yes, he, he went into the land of Galilee. He was a Nazarene, but he went to the cross and he died. But he, he shepherded. He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd does what? He lays down his life for the sheep. That's the one thing that he promised. He also promised this. That he would serve in the strength and majesty of the Lord. And he says right here, in the name of the Lord his God. Yes, Jesus was able to call the Father his God because he was God who became man. He humbled himself. He came to this earth and he served. He said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for the many. That is the heart of what God had promised in his son. And not only that, those are the first two. Look at the third one. I love this one. It says, he will, the Messiah will be great to the ends of the earth. And listen, church, there is no one greater than this Messiah. There's no one. There's no one greater than Jesus. He is, he is everything. He is everything. You know, I know um, I couldn't help. Last night after, after the game... I, I went to Facebook, and I just, I, I just said, I'm just going to read what people are thinking right now. Did I post anything? Heck no. I didn't even want y'all to know what I was thinking right then. <laughs> okay? But at the end of the day, it's just a game, isn't it? I told the men outside, I said, 100 years from now, you won't know. You won't remember. You won't. Now, we get excited, but when, when, when your life gets so excited that you're, you're going to have a bad day if your team loses, then we got to reshuffle some stuff, okay? Because the last time I checked, Jesus Christ is still the greatest thing and the greatest story out there, and he is still on his throne. And remember last Sunday, I went ahead and warned you. I said, don't matter what, if your favorite team wins or not, Jesus is still on his throne. I kind of had an idea, but I, I was hoping. 
All right, I was hoping. But here's the deal. Alabama, they won. Georgia lost. Life goes on. Amen? But who's the greatest story ever? Who's the greatest story ever? And boy, I just saw people. Man, fire Kirby. Fire Kirby. Dumbest, dumbest decision I've ever seen. My life is over. Man, it's crazy. But, you know, even, even some of our very own, you know, and even if your team won, do you go and just boast and just brag and, and just make others feel bad? Mm. The Bible says very clearly to us, if we're going to boast, let us brag on Jesus. Let us boast in the Lord. Because he has, he has given us the greatest story ever by humbling himself and coming to this little old place called Bethlehem and to be born in a place that we sung about a while ago that none of us in this room have had the fortune of being born in a stable in a manger. None of us. We were in the hospital. Hopefully are on the way to the hospital. But none of us have had that. Mm. And here's the final thing for today. He promises this. He, the Messiah, will be our peace. This one will be our peace. Whew. Now let that sink in. May I say to you, church, and, and I say this to myself, the greatest need that man has is to be at peace with God. That's man's greatest need. And then this, the, and what flows out of that is experiencing the daily walk, and it's called the peace of God, which passes all understanding. And it'll guard your heart and your mind in Christ. But initially, until a man makes his peace with God, the backstory started in a garden where we were separated from God. And it started there. And so what has to happen is we have to be reunited with God. And the only way that that's possible is through this birth of the greatest story ever told of this child who's going to be born in an old little town of Bethlehem, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. So my question to you this morning is this. Have you made your peace with God? How many times have you known a loved one or a family or a friend and they've been at the hospital and they might be on their deathbed and you're sitting there thinking all along, have they made their peace with God? Have they made their peace with God? And guess what? We're, we're all hoping and wanting them to have made their peace with God, aren't we? And some of us even go out of the way to even talk to them about it. Because that is man's greatest need, y'all, is peace with God. The greatest story ever told has begun. So let me ask you this. Do you have it? And then, if you have it, are you sharing it? Because if you have the peace of God, your favorite team... They can get beat. It don't matter. You got the peace of God. You got the peace of God. I got it. 
I'm good. Now, you get upset for a moment or two, yeah. But what matters in the long run? You have the peace of God. So nothing can shake that core of what you have. That's good. That's great, y'all. And so that's what is the backdrop, the backstory of this whole thing that's going to happen. Next week, we're going to be looking at something a little bit different. Next week, we're going to be looking at that 400 years of silence and what that must have been like in the darkness. And then we're going to look into the life of a man by the name of Simeon and what he saw from that story. So if you would, just bow your heads with me as we have a time to reflect this morning.